You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Carter comes up shooting. Welcome to Toronto Basketball Matters podcast number 26, guys. We're over the 25 hump, number 26. Massive week of sports, massive week of just random shit happening. Fucking Halloween on Tuesday. Halloween. You know what? Garbage. Garbage. Okay, but 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 speaking of garbage or maybe candy, you know what? The top two best candies are in my opinion. We're talking O. Henry, Reese's Pieces, everything else is more or less fucking trash in my opinion. And you know what the biggest trash candy is by far? Who the fuck? Likes candy corn. Do they still give that away? I, I thought they stopped giving that away because nobody likes candy corn. I view candy corn like on the same page as like that weirdo who's like giving out a fucking banana on Halloween or, or that weirdo who's like baking their own stuff. And maybe it's like a very sweet grandmother who's like making these awesome muffins and brownies for the community. Be like, shit, kids are going to love my secret recipe. But fear mongering in the fucking world we live in, everyone's convinced there's needles and just like poison inside of these homemade If goods. you had to go to a house or you went to a house and they had black licorice or candy corn, I would I would assume they're an ISIS if they had either one of those <laughs> options, but that that's, that's you just turn around and walk away. <laughs> exactly, and uh, Houston Astros are your 2017 World Series champions. Congrats to the uh, the Houston Astros. Interesting, Ben Ryder Ritter for uh, SI 2014 front page story. Your 2017 World Series champions are the Houston Astros, based on their uh, I guess ability to develop their organization. So they uh, so. Hats off to Good for Astros. Houston. Good for Houston. Those people got uh, went through a harrowing experience with the hurricane. So hopefully this is an opportunity for them to rally around. The well, now no one will be cheering for the Rockets. So it's perfect. Our, our, and the Texans are pretty fucked as well. Kind of going to different uh, sports subjects right well, now. That's but a whole other issue. <laughs> Deshaun Watson going down with a torn ACL today. All right, guys. So let's get back at the subject at hand. We're talking Toronto Raptors basketball. So guys, not the greatest performance against the Denver Nuggets. Uh, we'll play a quick clip by Dwayne Casey showing his disgust with the team and we'll come back in a second embarrassing performance by all of us you know from coaches to players it was embarrassing i mean you come in and one thing we said you got to come in here and, and compete and play hard play a physical game and we didn't do either one on either end of the floor we played soft offense we played soft defense and again uh you, we're going to see the same thing come to utah game it, it, just because you beat a team in this league uh as good as portland was the other night as good as we were the other night was as bad as we were tonight uh, the, our compete level was low, starting with our starting unit. And then our, our second unit came in with not the usual energy they come in with. And I, I'm going to give them a mulligan because they have done it each night. But yet and still, our, it starts with our starters. they got to come in and compete at a high level. Uh, and again, you set the tone. Because if you don't, teams like this are just going to come in and jump on you because you got a target on your back. All right, guys. So... Based on last night's performance, what are your biggest takeaways from it? Um, Greg, what went right for the team last night? And Christian, I guess, maybe on the other side, what went wrong with the organization? We'll start with Greg. What went right for Yes, the sir. Team? Uh, Norman Powell. He seems to have broken out of a slump. That's about it. This game canceled out any positives that the Portland game had brought. It was a pretty disappointing performance, especially because they, they weren't even playing a back-to-back. Before, and you, when you had Denver on a back-to-back, as Jack Armstrong said, it's kind of like a scheduled loss, the altitude and, and all that. But if you have a day to adjust in between, you know, I don't know. They, they, they came out with no intensity. Part of it, I guess, was was reacclimating JV and Ibaka. Like, Ibaka was, was three steps slow. Uh, Millsap came out and just absolutely torched him. So maybe that could have just been them kind of finding their game legs again. But even the bench when they came in looked ugly too. No excuse. The only good thing was Norman Powell breaking out of the slump. That's a great point, Graf. And what went right for, or what went wrong for the Toronto Raptors? Everything. Everything. So I'm sure Everything. we can. Uh, okay, let's wrap it up now. One twenty nine, one eleven. Not the greatest performance on the team last night. What are your biggest takeaways from this loss, Christian? Well, a couple of things. Obviously, they weren't. I mean, they looked like they. 
were really tired, obviously. Maybe they were out trick-or-treating a little bit too late. <laughs> oh, is that what you call from, it? From the night before. Yeah. That's what we'll call it for yeah. now, uh, for their safety. But um, no, they just, they weren't passing the ball. The, the thing that I saw with the Raptors in the first couple games of the season, the first, I'd say, four or five, that was completely different from last year. You almost saw that what they were talking about when they wanted to change the way they played. The culture with the change. Pass, yeah, the passing of the ball, movement off the ball. Now they've sort of reverted back to that iso ball play, and everybody was slow. You said Ibaka looked slow. I thought every single yeah. player on the yeah. Raptors team looked slow. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't know exactly if it's the altitude that you can use. You can't play, but you can't. I you think can't. that's more of an excuse. Yeah, honestly. Than well, that's a great else. point, actually, because I was talking about the Denver Nuggets prior to the season, and what I loved about them, what I've liked about them for the last few years, especially, is their depth. You know, not only the starting five rotation, but just having a really deep bench, and I think that's necessary, like you guys were mentioning before, to play in such an intense sort of elevated climate as well, right? And then maybe this had fresher legs going out. You know, the Raptors were talking about depleted bench this year specifically. Um, is that going to be a challenge going to be facing moving forward? Deeper teams of deeper benches and just not be able to keep up pace well, for a 48-minute game? I think that's what you're going to get with a, a young bench like the Raptors have. When they're young, they're going to be hit or miss. It's, yeah. it's not going to be one of those things that's going to be reliable. Mm-hmm. Uh, some games are going to look like Portland, and some games they're going to look like uh, Denver last night. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, as true as that is, it wasn't the bench that did us in as much as it was the starters. That's a great point. Siakam had a fantastic game. He had 10 points, 8 rebounds, and only 19 minutes as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was actually... And you raise a good point with the iso ball versus the team ball. Because in Portland, it was very much... like They went back to the to the iso ball because they needed it because they were missing so many guys. And it worked. Like They came out and, and DeRozan just ate them up. Right? He ripped them in the first quarter. Um, I think that they sort of were, were struggling to figure out how they wanted to play last game. Um, on top of that, and this is really frustrating for me to watch, you know, they talk about team ball. JV has his hands up begging for a touch. You know, you if you want to set up three-pointers, you set it up inside out, right? You need to kick it inside to mm-hmm. get it out. You can't just pass the ball along the perimeter and think you're going to get open looks. You have to get it inside, either through cutting and kicking which they couldn't even get done because the perimeter defense of the Nuggets was good. Or you got to dump it inside, at least give JV a touch. So then when he gets it, he's not going to have to rush up a shot because he knows, oh, it's my only chance to shoot. Right? So to me, it, it, it looked like Lowry just didn't like trust JV or I don't know. But the team ball wasn't there last night. Well, let's talk about Kyle Lowry very quickly. Uh, I can do a little uh, sequence, I guess, over to Kyle Lowry. Um, signed that massive contract with the team for the next three years, rightfully so based on his history of the team and how much he's improved season to season. This is probably the shittiest Kyle Lowry we've seen in quite a while, maybe not based on the eye test, based on the statistics, but we're talking about a guy who's you know averaging roughly 13 points per game, also shooting 372 from the field. Guys, is this a cause for concern? Is this kind of, you know, at that age of a point guard in his early 30s, like Kyle Lowry's at right now, um, losing his speed and his quickness? Uh, is Kyle Lowry kind of hitting a downslope of his career, or is this early uh, season slump more or less, you know, him trying to acclimate to the adjusted speed and spacing the Raptors are sort of having right now, or sort of presenting as an organization offensively. Yeah, I I think it's exactly that. I think that right now, what the Raptors are trying to do is have Lowry not just be the guy who gets all the assists, who comes out of every game getting 10 Mm -hmm, assists. mm -hmm. They're trying to space that ball out. They're trying to get DeMar to be so much more of a passer. And I guess what you're seeing from Lowry right now is not just adjustment, but also it's early in the season. Like, it it is still... What like seven games in? It's, it's it's very early. I think as the season goes on, you're going to see Lowry start to learn how to trust players. You mentioned before he didn't trust Valanciunas there. Once some of the players on this team can actually start hitting shots consistently, and we find out who those <laughs> shooters are, I think that's when Lowry will start being the floor general we've all sort of known him to be, and be able to not only pass it after driving, but be able to step back and be our primary scorer. Yeah, yeah, um, and 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 that's the key point. His it's what's what he's uh, struggling through right now is a shooting slump. Mm-hmm. The rest of his game, like his defensive intensity has been great. Yeah. Uh, it's it's and he's making winning plays. It's his shooting. Yeah, but if we're talking about transferring transforming from an ISO based team to a team that spreads the floor through shooting, Kyle Lowry has to be that guy to set the precedent for the, all the other players around him. You're no, talking of course. about like he needs to hit the most shots. dependable three point player on the team. I would probably say it would be Kyle Lowry, with the exception of CJ Miles. Yeah. He needs to hit his shots, and he's not hitting his shots, and that's why this... But he's a streaky shooter. 
He's always been that way. Um, you know, he went on some ridiculous uh, uh, percentage uh, streaks last year, mm-hmm. and I think that's what you're going to see now. It's also him adjusting to the system in that he's, you know, he has a lot of hockey assists where he made the pass before the pass. He's a maestro, basically. Yeah. The team. Plus, yeah. the ball is just, there's not enough time in the Raptors' offense, I think, right now. Everybody kind of commands the ball a little bit. Like when Powell's out there, when DeRozan's out there in the starting five, mm-hmm. and Valanchunas and Ibaka, honestly, those are so many, those are great options, and they all kind of need touches. And yeah. Lowry's going to be that guy who carries the ball at the floor, and that's his touch. He doesn't necessarily need to be yeah. the guy that fills up the stat sheet. But as long as he's still running the offense, I think that's sort of his role. Again, Lowry was never really the, the stat sheet sort of stuffer. Mm-hmm. He's almost the guy who's been near a triple-double all the time. Well, that's 10, what it was, because 10. she was that's so used to playing with specific players for years upon years. You know, you're talking about the team at the crossroads right now, bringing, you know, letting go a lot of vets, bringing a lot of rookies, yeah. and him just kind of, you know, adjusting to who he's playing with now. I know but, it's a very crass sort of argument to say, but, you know, it takes some time for him. I know they got Serge Ibaka last year of the NBA trade deadline, but, you know, it, it is going to take some time to sort of acclimate to the playing style that a lot of these guys have. You yeah, know, a lot of the guys say, you know, Kyle really wasn't playing with last year. Also, though, it's important to know you ask about the age. I don't think Lowry will age out in the same way that, like, you've seen with Allen Iverson, for instance, players like that. Because for a long time, Lowry, uh, gets, Lowry gets by on craftiness. Mm-hmm. Those types of players, like Manu Ginobili is a crafty player. He's able to play until 40 because it, it was never his pure athleticism. Right, it, it was always his intelligence and his decision making, and, right. and and the thing with Lowry is he's become a much better shooter as he's gotten older. So that's going to a lot like you know Jason Kidd, for instance. Jason Kidd was able to extend his career mm-hmm. because he, he learned to shoot, and I think with Lowry's improved shooting and the fact that he's taking now good care of his body, mixed with his craftiness, I actually do think that these years with the Raptors, you'll still see him at a very high level. I think the issue uh, with his poor production is that. It, as, as Christian said, right, he's acclimating to the system. And also, I think he's just straight up in a slump. So, uh, keeping with the Raptors' discussion, let's talk about their bench for a second. Not a lot of great takeaways from last night, but one of the better takeaways, I guess, in my opinion, was the play of Alonso, uh, Alfonso McKinney, I'll get that right one day, in limited playing time. Played eight minutes, shot three for three from the field, talking nine points, two route rebounds, like I mentioned before, in eight minutes. Guys like this, guys like who are kind of, like even OG and Anobi, you know, a lot of guys, people didn't really think that he was going to provide the impact, you know, no matter how small it is, this early on in the season. Even DeLon Wright, streaky shooter, but is sort of the primary ball handler, the man himself, I guess, in the secondary unit. Um, what what do you think Alfonso's sort of long-term potential is with the organization? And this does this basically spell the end of Bruno Caboclo, considering that we elected <laughs> not to, you know, uh, opt in the fourth-year option with his contract. Same thing with Gioloca for, and now we're seeing Orlando with uh, Mira Horzonia. Yeah, I think the writing's on the wall for our, our boy Bruno. His basketball career is not over. He can go play in other places, but he hasn't developed enough to be a mainstay in the NBA. Like you say, you get these young guys that are three years younger than him, like OG Ananobi or or uh, McKinney, and they come in and they have instant impact, whereas Caboclo is still needing more time to develop. Now, mm-hmm. if he wants to take a contract with the 905s and continue to develop, heck, I could see him, you know, being almost like, uh, you know, by 26, 27, then you could play him. But in, in retrospect, Because he's so though, freakishly long. Yeah, but that's what I'm talking about. In retrospect, you know, talk about Masai Ujiri coming in his first year with the Raptors, first draft. I'm <coughs> sorry. You fault, him, you fault him for making no. that sort of gamble on, you know, such a unfamiliar name at the draft when there were guys like Rodney Hood available on the board. Yeah, but, you know, there's no guarantee that Rodney Hood would have worked out. And look, and then if you don't take this kid, you know, and some, it's like Giannis Antetokounmpo. No one knew he would become what he is, right? But he had that freaky length, right? He took a swing at well, it. that was a very similar it gamble late that, pick too, you know, that right? the Bucks took with Giannis. You know, like, I think in the draft 2013, there weren't many marquee names coming out. Yeah. Like, we're talking about the Anthony Bennett number one overall draft. I think, you know, a lot of people are hesitant to draft Giannis because the only available footage was him playing in these, like, really sketchy Greek gyms where, like, <laughs> you weren't even sure if the rim was 10 feet high. He's yeah, playing against yeah. kids half his size, you know? So sometimes you got to swing for the fences, and maybe you won't hit a home run every single time, but I think we hit a home run or hopefully hit a home run with OG. Uh, oh where are you God. at right now, Graffin, right well, now with uh, development of uh, Bruno right now? 
Well, with Bruno, Bruno I mean, well, Bruno, I think, I, hopefully this will be one of, I don't like, I don't think Bruno will be on the team for too much longer. I think McKinney will take over that spot. Uh, he, If he's given the opportunity, McKinney's one of those players, he wasn't afraid to shoot. I mean, if, if, if that's my one takeaway from McKinney's nine minutes on the floor out there, he came out there and I think he got four points in his first minute. Yeah. He came out there and was came out gunning. But it was, gar- it was garbage time too, though. No, but right? again, like what else is he going to do? Of yeah. course, he's going to have to come out and, and play hard. And he showed Bruno honestly, can't do that in garbage time. Yeah, he, he was the only one who didn't look tired, other yeah. than maybe Norman Powell, like you yeah. said earlier. So uh, for me, McKinney, he deserves this spot on the roster. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like his story. Um, to me, Bruno Caboclo should go back to the nine five. I really hope he doesn't think in his mind that he deserves to be on an NBA roster somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, I hope he's not, you know, going against Masai or something like that. Or Listen, if you're not getting minutes in your fourth fucking year, yeah, in third year in the NBA, you, you have to have a come to Jesus moment and realize that, you know what, I'm not a great basketball player. There's clearly shit that I need to work on as a player and come in with the best work ethic possible. You know, we're talking about the Brazilian team fiasco, all the right. bullshit we've been reading in the past about Bruno. It it's doesn't really strike head. me as someone who really wants it, wants to make it professional. And I don't really see the the, 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 the compete in him. You know what I mean? I don't see the, the ferociousness out of him whatsoever. He's a very, like, tempid, like, sort of, like, yeah. flaccid personality. Yeah, and that's, that doesn't fit in too well with the Dwayne Casey... Culture and you know on this point about the show some fucking unit. sense of urgency. Your career yeah. is literally spiraling down the toilet right now, and it doesn't look like he wants to. And that's the exact opposite of what I saw from McKinney. But I mean, you look at OG, and OG's personality isn't like Siakam's where he's up and screaming. But my God, does he get after it? Mm-hmm. Like, like he that he did you see the play? It was against Portland where he jumped and like stuff blocked slash stole the ball right, right 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 off one of their guards and that's and that's what OG brings to the table you're talking about you know he may not develop into a great offensive player but at the worst case scenario with OG Yo. and this is obviously speaking from a Toronto Raptors fans perspective this guy's worst case scenario situation is being a lockdown multi-positional he has defender, a chance right? to be an all NBA he does defender. as well you know what I mean the biggest, the biggest mock I guess in the ringer uh, mock draft I was kind of reading about was that he has all the tangibles you see in a guy like Kawhi Leonard right yep um, yep. and why not swing for the fences like a guy like that? At least like Bruno was this like very raw stencil of a player. OG at least has some specific qualities that can contribute to an organization right now. Graf, and you got something to add? Yeah, maybe tell me, am I crazy? <coughs> is he not our best defender right now? OG, is he not the best defender on the Raptors? He's a little green, and he's making he makes mistakes on like assignments and stuff. But you mean but he's sort of a ball stopper? Like, yeah, since if you, you know a, the player's going to shoot, who, who else would you? But kind didn't of I say when I said when I first saw him play, I said. Watch by the end of the year, you might see this guy starting at the three because he is NBA ready. Like he's not just usually long players are either thin, right, or they're or thin and weak, or they're slow, right, and they're lanky. But he is fast and strong and quick. Mm-hmm. He's his legs. Yeah, he's a complete athletic package, and he's unpolished offensively. There, there's no doubt. But I think you're right. I think like. Him and Siakam are absolute terror. They look like raptors they're when they're so gr- attacking the ball like a like a, a bunch of raptors. It's so athletic, right? Yeah, and so raw. And yeah, and you can see the potential. But honestly, right and now, just the athleticism alone to me, I would trust him one on one with a player that you know was going up for the last shot. Yeah, I really love how the team has been formed around this identity. How the how how Masai Jiri has built the team in Dwayne Casey's image of you know we're gonna. Draft a bunch of defense first players, right? Right, Pirtle. And look, there's issues with that, like with Delon's three point shooting and whatnot. But the bottom line Shoot. is now you have a second unit with all these young athletic guys that get after it. They let they Portland scored one field goal in the second quarter, only scored it with, with five seconds left in the quarter off a second chance tip. Like, they were absolutely ravenous on defense. I've never seen that type of energy. You stick Nogueira in there at the center when he's on. Hey, can, can we shout out to Nogueira? Absolutely. The best game I have seen. If Nogueira can play like that every game, right, Valanciunas becomes like, expendable in some sort of trade. Absolutely. Because if he can stay he, healthy. If, but also, if, if Nogueira can be consistent. I feel like he can play. It's just he's, he's not healthy. consistent. He's not consistent. That's the thing. But that's because of his health, I find. No, I, man, I, it's I, mental with him. That's why he stopped drinking and stuff. He's trying to clean up his act, right? How like, do we get no Garrett? Just out of curiosity, guys. <laughs> How do we get no Garrett? Do you guys remember this trade? Uh, Atlanta. Um, <laughs> we traded... We got Lou Williams and Thing. Have and Vasquez. Noguera. I think Vasquez was... No, man, we got, we, got, we, we got Powell. 
We got Paul no. I gotta look this Vasquez. up really quickly. I feel like this Sorry, is uh, yeah, man. We got Powell for Vasquez. No, we and Norman, then and then Norman maybe Powell? the pick. Shouldn't we know this? Don't we have? We should have a stat guy. I, I I'm like pretty sure I'm right on this one. We'll look it up a little bit later. But just transitioning from this right now, guys. So Toronto Raptors, a lot of promise, a lot of upside, a lot of uh, I guess media pundits specifically. I'm throwing shady ESPN right now and Sports Illustrated. Most importantly, hey, hey, don't didn't really have a lot of love for the Toronto Raptors this year. No, uh, many people predicted them to kind of finish fourth or fifth in the Eastern Conference. Disrespect. Right now, right right now we're four and three. Um, you know, not the greatest position, but a lot to build on right now. So we're talking about the pecking order of the Eastern Conference. Many people predicted the Cleveland Cavaliers to obviously be the best team in the NBA. They've dropped the last four games in a row. Right now we're talking about the Isaiah Thomas injury. We're also talking about the Clay Thompson injury, which we'll, which um, Tyrone Lee will talk about right now briefly. Jeff Shudel, News Herald. <clears throat> Do you have any update on uh, Tristan Thompson? Um, just a strained calf right now, so um, I'll find out more, I guess, tomorrow. But just a strained calf. Does he need an MRI or anything on that? I'm not sure yet. Yeah. All right, so <clears throat> so in consideration of how fucked the Easter Conference is here, we're talking the Gordon Hayward knee injury, we're talking, or ankle injury, rather, we're talking the Cleveland Cavaliers essentially playing no defense. Is this the year for the Toronto Raptors to steal the Eastern Conference and carry this the momentum, I guess, into the NBA Finals? Me, me, me. Yes, <laughs> yes, it can be. And so you you're not scared of teams like the the Washington Wizards with an improved trifecta of Porter, Beal, and Wall. You're not concerned about the Milwaukee what? Bucks, who have arguably no, one of the of most powerful no. players in the NBA. You res- uh, I I think the Bucks are. I mean, unless <laughs> they have to wait, uh, I want to wait till they get uh, Jabari Parker back <laughs> because I watched them play against OKC. They have no offense outside of Giannis. Small like, sample size of the team with Jabari Parker. They They're substantially scoring. shittier with Jabari and LaFleur. That team needs more scoring. Middleton dropped 43 last night. Did he? Yeah. Well, that's what they need. But that's what makes that team so goddamn good is that even though Middleton is orchestrating the offense, Giannis fills so many different needs around them. You know what I mean? But, but He's regarding a great the Raptors, a great though, rim protector. But regarding the Raptors, definitely. There's definitely an opening. Of course, I think there's an opening for so many teams this year. Yeah. Just the start that Cleveland's had has already led to That's a bunch the of opening. teams going. Okay, the Gordon Hayward injury is another thing where a lot of teams yep. went. Okay, this is this is kind Wide of a chance. It's a, the Eastern Conference has notoriously been known for being sort of a mm-hmm. little bit weaker than the West, especially in the last you know, decade. Um, and a little bit, yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, they've had champions. Like Cleveland still is a team that can represent the East and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that, that yeah. win championships, yep. right? So. But the, you know, the team is showing some holes. So for me, I think yes, the but, Raptors of course will get excited. Okay, but but with Cleveland, I mean, let's wait until Thomas comes back and give them some more time to work it out, right? And and wait until the playoffs, right? It's going to be a different story. They're not going to be playing like this. These guys are still on summer vacation. This is their preseason. See, that's the weird thing about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because think about this today, uh, Kevin Love can't play defense. Uh, you know, you're talking about three guards who basically are three of the worst defensive point guards in the NBA in Jose Calderon, Derrick Rose, as well as the injured Isaiah Thomas. Uh, you're talking about an aging Dwayne Wade, uh, who is not a great defender at this point of his career either. Um, a lot a lot of points would say, like, if you looked at this whole roster and look at all the negatives involved, yeah. you would say to yourself that Cleveland Cavaliers, this is their downfall. You know, this is this is the year where, where you start seeing a slip toward the uh, regular season performance. But then I thought of one thing and one person only, and LeBron fucking James, okay? Yeah, best and, and, the world. And, 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 and who am I to doubt LeBron James, okay? Like, I, I would love to sit here and say the Toronto Raptors will finish first in the Eastern Conference, but we're talking about arguably the best player of our generation. Regular the season player of all time, The most transcendent player of our generation. I can't say the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be dethroned this year, regardless of the four-game Hold slip. on, regular season or playoffs? Combination of both, regular no, season th- and playoffs. At this point, there's very good reason to think that they won't be able well mine would be resting Le- resting LeBron you take okay, LeBron off the court that team is okay, a fucking but, horrible but, organization okay but I'm saying at this point it, it there's a good chance that they won't get first in the East because there are I mean the record right it, unless they turn it around fair, fairly quickly they'd have to go on a crazy run mm-hmm. right last year the, the last couple years they've started off much better right right we're talking what are they three games below 500 mm-hmm. okay now as a the playoffs are different but I think in terms of of, of the regular season, it's definitely open for other teams. And the Raptors have to be trying to get home court for the playoffs. It's their ch- it's the only chance. Oh, that's a lot. I don't them. think that's much of a discussion. No, I mean home court against Cleveland. Oh, okay. It's the only way that they're going to beat 
Cleveland is if they can squeeze out some games in the crazy air Canada. Set. The thing that makes no sense for me with the Cleveland Cavaliers is that literally they have no wing protectors on the team, with the exception of Jamison Crowder, who, keep in mind, isn't really shooting that well right now. I think he has terribly. an APER. But, like... I, 20 minutes per game, you know, he's one guy that I think they really depended on this upcoming season to guard multiple positions. Like, that guy holds a team together. Without Jamison Crowder being Jamison Crowder, that team has next to no option when it comes to wing protectors. Name one guy on that team who's a lockdown defender, and I don't want to fucking hear him on shoot there. <laughs> well, I mean, they've won before with, with a very similar roster. They don't necessarily need the wing protectors. I mean, they, you know what I mean? Like, when I get to Cleveland, They're made to outscore teams. It's going to be that. Like, their defense has been what's been their downfall so far. The Kevin Love is now going to have to play five in, the, in the five spot again because mm-hmm. of the Tristan Thompson injury that just happened. Which is He's a good defender. Thompson's a good defender. This, you know, like, this puts Cleveland, I mean, they're old. Like you said earlier, they're pretty much they're old, but mainly their defense has been terrible. They've been letting up the most, I think, threes to other teams in the league so far. The Hence the importance of having James the crowd on the court. Isn't that just, just an effort thing, though? Right? Again, At this, this point, aren't they we, just in preseason? We know that they kind of mail it in for the season, right? So, I, uh, when do you when do you, when do you sort of panic if you're Cleveland? Okay, you're so Cleveland going 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 into that, guys. Going, I would not. Guys, give me one second here. So, going into that discussion of time to panic, I'm going to introduce a new segment on the podcast. This is called the Six, and we are both going to introduce different topics. We're talking six topics in general, and we're going to talk about the Madnazium. I'll start with Christian. You talk about a time to panic for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Is it time to panic right now? Should they be freaking out? Should they be trying to trade off their their first round pick they got from um, the Boston Celtics in the Kyrie Irving trade? Like, what they, should they be doing considering that LeBron might be leaving next year? What sort of assets should they throw out there just to make sure they have a winner this season to entice LeBron to stay past this season? Yeah, well, I think it's not time to panic. And again, I was going to sort of ask you guys if you think it is because I think it's ridiculous no. from what I've read no. so far that this is a team now that, you know, Again, we just all sat here and said this is the opportunity for every team in the East to go for it. At the same time, we have to realize that, yes, LeBron James is able to take over a game at any, any, any point and almost win a series in the playoffs by himself. But also there's so many injuries, and it takes time for teams to sort of gel. Yep. We saw it with the Miami Heat. We saw it with when the when they got Big 3 got together there for the first time. But the thing Love. is, they're not— It takes time. Okay, here's the thing, though. This isn't that. This isn't OKC coming together with superstars. What Cleveland has done, right, they've taken Kyrie Irving, who was their other superstar. They've taken him out, and they've replaced him with no one because it was supposed to be Isaiah Thomas. So what you've got now is the same Cavs roster minus Kyrie Irving. A great secondary playmaker, but... You know, with LeBron James as well. When he's yeah, when he's help. Oh, when he's healthy, but he's playing. He's not playing right now. I'm saying. So what you're seeing. I'm saying Kyrie Irving last year they had a secondary playmaker to play with LeBron James right now. Yeah, well, he was the head of the. the I think he did more for that team than a lot of people thought. The reason LeBron went there is because LeBron doesn't like being the number one offensive option. That's why he went to Miami too and played beside Dwayne Wade. Okay, LeBron is one of the greatest of all time. He's not one of the greatest. I don't think scorers of all time. He likes another player on his team that can be the killer player offensively. He liked that. And I'm saying they don't have that right now. Okay, so look. Right now we have Kevin Love playing the five because of this injury. And this injury, I think, is a pretty big deal. But he started at the five. Because they go, and he was terrible. That's why they switched it (laughs) up. So for, let's just say, the next month, he's going to be gone for four weeks. They say, you know, three to four weeks. If in these three to four weeks they only win two games, and let's say they lose another eight. Oh, I would love that. Another eight games and they win two. Something like that. Is then time to paint? Like, when exactly is the point where you go, okay, you know what? Cleveland has to. When you do have the best big. player in the world, you never panic. You know what I mean? Like, you never panic. From an organizational standpoint, they, they got. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, because I, if everyone stays healthy on that team, I'm telling you, they're going to make a run at the playoffs. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like Rose does look good uh, Like when he's playing on that team. They do look like they could be dangerous. It's just, it's all got to fit together. Time. It's going to take time and it's all got to fit together. But you have LeBron James. You never panic with LeBron James. As to the pick, you might have to trade that pick and see how can we get a little bit better. I don't see, that's what I mean by panic, though. And maybe panic is not the right word to use in the situation. But you're talking about, you know, the best player of our generation, currently on the Cleveland Cavaliers in the last year's contract. Many people are saying he might sign with the Los Angeles Lakers to so do do expand his brand. What do you do with the pick? You know, what do, you, do you pay the heat mm. to the future in combination of wanting to compete right now? Or do you just unload as many assets as possible to make LeBron what essentially happy? What do you think, happy, Rap, What right? do you think? I don't think you touch the pick because you don't know what LeBron's going to do. Okay. And I honestly think LeBron's leaving. Yeah. It's going to be so a shit pick. Anyway, even if you know he's leaving, right? there we go. even if you know he's leaving, 
what, what about looking at it like this? You have a chance to win the championship. You have the best player in the world for one year. Why not mortgage the future a bit? Because this is your chance, Cleveland. You might not get another chance for who knows, another 60 years, whatever. Now, I know it sounds a little... You, uh, if you're the owner and you're a businessman, you're like, I want a long-term business plan. I want to make sure that I have talent, right, that I'm developing and winning at the same time. But here's your here's your window. Here's your opportunity. You can get a pick. You can get you can pick up Bledsoe. Flip your pick for Bledsoe, and now you've got another All Star that can maybe make a difference to win a championship. I would absolutely not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so going back into the second discussion point of the six, I'll throw it to Greg right now. Uh, you just mentioned Eric Bledsoe. So a couple weeks ago, head coach of the Phoenix Suns, Earl Watson, was dismissed <laughs> after four games, I believe. Oh my God! Um, brought in by Canada's very own Jay Triano, who's been playing fa- or been coaching that team fantastically. Yeah, shout out to um, Jay Triano. But but beyond from that, after uh, Watson was dismissed from the organization, Bledsoe. So sent out this very cryptic tweet stating, I want out of here. He allegedly stated that he was in a barber shop. That's probably bullshit. <laughs> I think he wants to get traded out of Phoenix. Um, Greg, where are you at the Eric Bledsoe trade situation? Is he going to be a great fit for the Cavs? Would you give up a first rounder to get Eric Bledsoe? Would he be a good fit for the Raps? Or is there another team out there that you uh, think yeah. is the, that Eric Bledsoe is the missing piece toward their So uh, there's been success? rumors, actually. The two teams that are actually most... Uh, rumored to be putting packages together are your Denver Nuggets mm-hmm. and the Milwaukee Bucks. I I disagree. I heard one rumor today that is the front runner right now for the Eric Bledsoe trade. It's the Detroit Pistons with the, Reggie the Jackson first. But yeah, that's what they're talking about wait, right now. Reggie Jackson because Reggie first. Jackson and a first round pick for Eric Bledsoe. Basically, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Taking in Reggie's contract with the additional first round pick, having a guy as a stopgap at the point guard position, maybe they and then yeah. let's go going yeah. to Detroit in the long run of a backcourt with Avery Phoenix Bradley. Phoenix has mentioned that they didn't want uh, Reggie Jackson. They're trying to look for a third yeah, team right I, now that they're trying to include in this deal, and they're trying to figure out who this third team could be to take on Reggie. I think Jackson Mark Stein. I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Mark Stein, who I do trust as an NBA insider, was sort of stating that that does look like the best option for Phoenix at this point. Can I can I ask? Because um, I'd be worried. About the Bucks, if they get, if they get Bledsoe, because that adds that other element, right? That'll make them, I think, this year a much, much better team. I'd be worried about them getting. Well, keep in mind, Malcolm Brogdon's played fantastic for the start of the season. We're talking but, fifteen but points not, per game, five assists. Yeah, he's your favorite but, player, Brandon. I, but, I wouldn't say he's my not, favorite player, but, Brandon, but he I can't, think it's he just, can't, I think he can't it's take over a game. He can't take over a game, right? You okay? Yeah. Yeah. Remember. Remember. Uh, People can't hear us when we're talking over each other. So going back into the uh, Eric Bledsoe trade situation, um, Greg, do you think he should go to the Cavs? Do you think they should offload the first-round pick like we're talking about before, go for the home run hit, and try to win the NBA championship LeBron's last year with the team? And is Eric Eric Bledsoe that quick fix? And does Eric Bledsoe on Cavaliers essentially smoke the end of Derrick Rose's tenure on the team? Uh, I, I don't know about all that. I think the Raptors should 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 try to get him and play a three-headed point guard monster. We saw what happened with Phoenix when they did that before, though. Yeah, I know, but I you know I'm just trying to find find ways right now that the Raptors can flip some of their mm-hmm. young talent in in package with one of our pseudo impact players. Well, Denver makes the most sense. I think they have enough players and pieces to facilitate yeah, their trade. And they're also missing that sort of go-to number one point guard. I love Jamal Murray. Toronto's very own Jamal Murray. But, you know, he's not really a point guard. He's more of a two playing the one. And Moutier clearly isn't the long-term fix of the point guard position for Jamal the Jamal Murray played fan-freaking-tastic third in quarter? that game. You, all game. Yeah. You don't know. He came out knowing that, of course, man, he's a Canadian guy. You don't think he knows that this is he's playing against Canada's team? He's yeah, the third Canadian to go against the Raptors and put up uh, over 20 yeah. points. No, like, but he, right, you would be up for that game, and good for him, man. He, he showed up Kyle Lowry. Lowry was trying to get physical with him, and he completely showed up Lowry. Good for that guy, man. But about the Bledsoe thing, I don't know. I, I see so, a contender could make, like, Bledsoe can make a difference to a very good team to make them an elite team. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting to see who, because he's a very good player. I, I think, think he's with underrated. him, a fit as well, though. But he's not the greatest outside shooter, but he is a lockdown defender, and he's a pretty decent playmaker, and he runs the court well. You know? He's an excellent athlete. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think he might he would fit on the Raptors is because he made his name as being a defense-first player. Mm-hmm. But we need some shooting right now. So. All right, That's so exactly what we'll, we'll introduce it to the, uh, the third 
I guess, topic of the six. Uh, the early season performance of the six and two Orlando Magic. We're currently tied with the Boston Celtics for number one in the East right now. Um, I don't know what's happening to Aaron Gordon, but somehow he's become overnight the best three-point shooter in the NBA. Um, you're also talking about the improved play of Evan Fournier. Vucevic looked absolutely fantastic. And Jonathan Simmons from the San Antonio Spurs has really solidified that bench. Yeah, we're we're doing some really good things. You know, I, I have to be positive, and encouraged with uh, with the way we're playing. Um, you know, obviously they're a different team without without Tony and without Kawhi Leonard. They got some really good players out, MVP level players out, and um, you know we took advantage. You know, the team still plays good basketball, and with those guys out, like you said, they're they're four and zero, and you know I'm just impressed with how. Uh, how we're playing offensively in terms of sharing the basketball. You know, it's it's just at a really high level right now, and, and nobody's forcing at the rim. Nobody's forcing at on, on the perimeter. It's weird because you look at a lot of these early season performances, and it's really difficult to gauge their long-term success, especially in an 82-game season. You know, you know, we saw the Brooklyn Nets start off so hot, now they're 3-5. and five. You know, there, there, there's a lot of teams like the Pacers and the Pistons who are both 5-3 and three right now, but realistically, do they have the legs to sustain this type of performance within the entire season? I think the Orlando Magic have enough talent and I think they have the right coaching to be able to sneak into a playoff spot. I think their 6-2 yeah. and two performance right now is not an aberration. I think it's actually them kind of coming in their own. And, and the biggest reason for that is that Aaron Gordon's finally playing the position he should be playing, the fourth position. He was locked into that weird sort of unit last year when they brought in Serge Ibaka playing the four and Bismack Biombo playing the five. He couldn't really uh, showcase his skill set as, you know, a, a good, a decent rim protector, but a guy who's just a hyper-athletic, uh, drive-to-the-lane type of player who can get in that open three if he's open playing the four. You know what I mean? It's a stretch four. Um, Vucevic looked absolutely fantastic as well as a low post presence and it helps that he's kind of expanded his game to the three-point line because what's happened is that Evan Fournier's driving lane is so much more open as opposed to last year. You know, Fournier's a decent shooter, but his bread and butter is the ability to drive the lane. And opening up those shooting lanes with Vucevic shooting a three has been a revelation for that team, especially a guy like Simmons as well, right? I don't know. Do you guys think Orlando Magic do have the ability to keep up with the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference? Or is it just a random lucky 6-2 and two start to their season. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm extraordinarily excited for the Nets versus the Magic in the Eastern Conference Finals <laughs> this year. It's going to be a... It's going down. Really, it's going down. Wah, wah, wah. Really the NBA is going to have the Listen, best ratings we've ever seen. The Nets are not going to be a playoff contender at all. Their team is made of complete horseshit. Like, D'Angelo Russell's a good player. They have a couple blue-chip guys, but... You know they're going to be garbage. It's hard for me to trust the Magic, though, as well. Mm -hmm. it's, it's As great yeah, as their no, start yeah. has been, yeah, I, you know what? I agree with you. They probably are a team that can sneak into the playoffs. And I think, if anything, this can show it. Exactly. But what happened, they could have just as easily the exact opposite of the year that the Miami Heat had last year. Yeah. Where they went on a tear at the end. Well, that's, that's the way I can say it. Like, I view the Magic right now with having that sort of energy that the Miami Heat had in the second half. That sort of, like, trust within each other. Great coach. Um, just a really positive environment to play in. And don't forget, they've been playing a lot of, you know, honestly, pretty decent teams right now and winning. Mm -hmm. But all these teams were in the playoffs last year. Made pretty and they runs. see the they're Magic. Rested. Yeah, yeah. They're rested. They, these guys are young. I also, one player you haven't mentioned is Jonathan Isaac, I think. He is a rookie that yeah. is such a beast that he's going to take over one day at the center position there. And I don't know, like to me, right now what they're doing is building up enough hype and making their players look good enough where they can get either some trade assets, mm -hmm. or they could be trade assets, sorry, at the deadline, and they can get some picks to keep going with their sort of future rebuild, or they can do the exact opposite, trade some picks, trade some young players, and maybe go for it. Mm -hmm. And they do have enough, like they do have a couple blue chip guys, like you mentioned Jonathan Isaac, <laughs> I unfortunately mentioned a Mario Horzonia before. Um, but we're also talking about Alfred Payton not currently playing for the team right now. You're, they're starting DJ Augustine. You know, they're not in their best form right now, and they could potentially get better as the season progresses. Greg, is there something else you want to add with the Orlando Magic? I don't trust the hype yet. It's too early. I, you know what? I think you're right. They're coming into their own. But they just don't have a culture of success there. I do like their coach. He's a good guy. But the upper, like, the upper echelon of the conference? No. I could see them sneaking into, like, a 7th or 8th seed in, in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And you know what? They've been underachieving for a lot of years. So they've got the young talent. So I'm not surprised that they've finally got their shit together. You know, these, you know, look, any NBA team, these are professional basketball players, right? In the Eastern Conference, if it's open, guys can make a run. They have some good athletes. Terrence Ross is lighting it up, you know? 
Well, Greg, uh, as a coach, you're talking about continuity of the Magic right now. You're talking about the same roster, more or less, been together. The core continuity, yeah, that's that's yeah, key, you're right. Could that you know play in hand? That probably is part of their. Well. That's part of that's part of their uh, a good start, no doubt. Uh, and they've obviously been buying into what the coach has been preaching, mm-hmm. right? That guy is a player's coach. Um, you know, I, I'm, I don't know what they're doing with Herzonia, but uh, otherwise, yeah. Look, it's a good start for them, but I don't think that they're quite there. I don't know how. People haven't made the comparison yet of Aaron, Aaron Gordon and Blake Griffin. Oh, they have all they the have? time. Okay, mini, good. Mini, okay, mini, excellent. Uh, yeah. Because they play the exact same. They look but like in the same bloodline of like an Aaron Judge or something like that as well. I'm not quite sure. What yeah, but is. again, <laughs> <laughs> the, the the Victor Conte made in a laboratory type of physique. No, throwing it over to Christian now. So we're talking about. Um, you know, we did mention Jonathan Isaac. We did mention some marquee rookies this season. Uh, we're also talking about Ben Simmons, who has been who has revitalized the Philadelphia 76ers mm-hmm. basketball scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also talking about guys like Dennis Smith Jr. on Dallas, Jason Tatum on Boston, and Gregory Yeroshas' boy, Lonzo Ball, on the Los Angeles uh. Lakers. <laughs> Christian, right now, who is the front runner for the Rookie of the Year? And if, based on your prediction, is there anyone else in the league that could jump ahead of this said player? Okay, well, said player would be Ben Simmons, right? Well, I was assuming, I didn't want to outright say it was going to be Ben, but can anyone out there jump past Ben? Well, he's already near averaging a triple-double, and mm-hmm. honestly, the, I, I love watching the 76ers because of just what him and Embiid sort of bring in that yeah. dynamic. But th- honestly, he could be better. He's missing some easy shots. He's missing a lot of, like, close shots to the rim, mm. like layups almost. He he looks fantastic, but he's still, you can see the room for improvements. It's unbelievable. So I think Ben Simmons will win Rookie of the Year. Uh, it's pretty obvious. But if you had to sort of make a, a ladder, I guess, so to speak, and then make a ranking system, I think there's a lot of players that I wouldn't put in my top five at the beginning of this year uh, would sort of, for sure, you'd almost say would be there. Uh, there's no faults. There's no Dennis Smith Jr. Well, who's been your biggest disappointment so far for you? Um, Besides Markel Fultz. Well, for me, I guess, biggest disappointment, I guess, would be Ball, I guess. I don't know. It's hard because in my top five, I have Simmons, Laurie Markinen, Kyle Kuzma, De'Aaron Fox, and Jason Tatum. Mm -hmm. And Jason Tatum's there because... Fox, man. Fox is the quickest guy in the NBA. Tatum is get, is there because the opportunity, and yeah. he's now getting to showcase what we all thought at the beginning of the year. We just thought he wouldn't be able to have this many minutes, mm-hmm. and that would be his biggest restriction. Now yeah. we're seeing him go out and ball out pretty much. You also mentioned a guy that you know personally I wasn't really big on coming in the season, but who's I thought the physicality of the professional game would impede his first year development, and that's Laurie McCannon from you know previously from Arizona. But you guys were absolutely right. Um, you know the guy is just the definition of a stretch, like a super stretch. For, you he's know? second in scoring in the rookie race and fifth in rebounding. Absolutely. And the guy right now is up there and he's averaging 17 points a game. He's hitting, I think, 50%. He's like Chris Stappas light. He was dropping, like I saw him drop like five threes with LeBron guarding him. Yeah, right? and and not only, I mean, Kyle Kuzma stealing the spotlight from Lonzo Ball. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. And I think, like I was saying earlier, Darren Fox is the fastest player. The fa- seen, yeah, quickest player in the NBA right now. I've seen play in the NBA, maybe, maybe other than Westbrook. But yeah, no faults, no no Smith Jr. Even though they're playing, you know, these players aren't playing poorly. Donovan Mitchell as well. Donovan Mitchell and, and Malik Monk, who although had a great game yesterday. Great fourth quarter. And one of the reasons why Cleveland was that against, lost yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, uh, you know, I, it's a lot of players that at the start of the season you'd say, oh yeah, I'd put them in my top five. For me, it's a little bit of a surprise there. So from what you've seen so far, this draft class has been so hyped up in comparison. Like been saying like it's like 2003 all over again. Is the hype justified? Are these players showing what you expected from them prior to the season starting? Absolutely. See, I think we all knew that there'd be at least eight, maybe, you know, eight to ten players that come out of this draft class that's going to be, that are going to be very, very good players, borderline superstars. Mm -hmm. There's going to be maybe three or four superstars. It's just sort of shuffling the deck right now. We didn't know who it'd be, but you see players like a Donovan Mitchell who weren't drafted, you know, in the top five and who could be one of those players that eventually take over a team. So, yeah, I still think there's going to be that 8 to 10 range of players that come out of this draft. The the Kyle Kuzmas have replaced some of the players that aren't playing as well, like uh, Fultz, who's been injured. Exactly. All right, so going to number 5 of 6, we're going to throw this toward your direction. So we're talking about NBA unicorns, guys who transcend the position of positionless basketball. But we're talking about Kristaps Porzingis. We're also talking about, like, what... 
uh, Graf mentioned before his Rookie of the Year candidate, Ben Simmons. And we're also talking about Kristaps Porzingis on the Knicks, Giannis, Ben Simmons, NBA Unicorns. Greg, who is the the, the most transcendent player right now in your eyes? A guy who has unlimited yeah. potential. Like, who is the guy that sticks out for you? You know what? And because after our last podcast together, you guys asked me, is Giannis Antetokounmpo... Is I asked you because you're Greek as well. <laughs> does he have the... I'm actually half Cypriot, which is not the same thing as Greek. But potato, you asked me... Potato. Potato. <laughs> <laughs> but look, you asked me about Giannis, and I said, you know, he's, he, I don't think he could actually be an all-time great. And I went back, and I... Because and, and I, I saw him last year in the playoffs, and he looks... He's still offensively limited. I've, sw- I've watched him again this year, and he's grown so much physically, and he's changed. He's become much more aggressive, and he's starting to really dominate. You cannot watch him and not just salivate at what he could still become. Uh, and you know who else who's playing right beside him that I put in that unicorn category? Thon Maker. That kid is still very A young. Bit of early season struggles of his shooting, though. But you, but it, it's just that it's early season struggles. I think long term he's gonna be. It's a all good the potential tangibles that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, and you know, going back to Ben Simmons too, like, and this is a shift. I think. Look, right now the three pointer is in in the NBA. Right, that's the thing. All teams are trying to match up and play that way to play with Golden State. The next thing I think is, like you said earlier, I think in one of the podcasts, is this gonna, there's going to be a shift towards this positionless basketball. And you see teams already trying to, to build up for that. Like That's why the Raptors have been drafting these long, switchy players. right? And you're starting to see that there's no longer like the, the little guy in the one and a big guy at the five. Mm-hmm. It's more of just five really good athletic players. Yeah, everyone seems long. Everyone seems long, yeah. especially when you watch like the Bucks. Yep. You see them on defense, and even, oh, yeah. if, even if, if someone like... And that's not by accident. Exactly. If you get by someone, there's at least two people's arms coming over and flailing <laughs> over, and honestly, it's hard to get by them. So going to Milwaukee Bucks for one second, I just found a lot of sort of hate toward Jason Kidd on Twitter because of his decision to be starting, um, like, playing Thonmaker in general. You know, like... Over who, though, right? Who would you over, play? Over John Henson, I think, was the biggest issue because Henson maybe doesn't have a ceiling that Thonmaker has, but he's more of, like, a two-way offensive-defensive player. A safer option. And everyone's like shitting on Jason Kidd because he's taking such a massive gamble with his team no. that many people predict to go. That's bullshit, in my opinion. Who are these people? These, these Twitter fucking warriors or whatever out there. That's bullshit because with a guy like Thon Maker and a guy like John Henson, like Thon Maker, like you're mentioning before, has limited potential, in my opinion. Limited potential. And you're talking, Graf was mentioning as well, you know, a, a big, long, lanky guy who, who who is the new face of the big in the NBA. And yeah. why not take the gamble of trying to acclimate him to the speed of the game in his second season as well? Right? But, but also, like, who are these people to question the great Jason Kidd? Like, this guy is a fucking savant of basketball. Like, you, you watch him coach. He's sitting there, right? He's sitting there, doesn't, never gets flustered. Sits there and just, like, you see his mind going, his eyes going back and forth, like, pretty super calm. It's the praise of, uh, of an old vet playing the NBA. But the thing is, like, these people are shitting on him for not taking a gamble. If he didn't make the same gambles he made with Jonas' development as a player, I don't think Jonas would be the player he is right now. I think his development in combination Jason Kidd being that sort of head coach is a perfect recipe toward progressing that his talents you know what I mean okay. I don't think many coaches in the NBA could get the best yeah. out of his that player this early on in his career right? it gets very cold in Milwaukee I think the fans better watch uh, what they say or else he might uh, ship off to the Lakers or something like that yeah right <laughs> why not <laughs> go to a, a nicer climate where the fans are Terrible, but maybe you get LeBron on your team. Well, he is used to that beautiful, warm Greek weather I'm sure Greg is familiar with. It's like, damn it, I'm not Greek. All right. um, So the last topic I guess I'll bring up for the six is a couple guys recently this week, uh, their teams elected not to bring them back for their fourth-year option. And the two biggest names for me was Mira Herzonia and specifically Jaheel Okafor, whose trade value is like at an all-time low. I talk about mismanaging an asset. The Philadelphia 76 has really shit the bed, not only the selection of Jaheel Okafor, but also how long they carried him on the roster, and basically the fact they're going to get maybe five cents on a dollar in this trade right now. I don't know where you guys are at with Jaheel Okafor. I don't necessarily see him as a starting five in the NBA, but I do see some value in him. And I don't see why a team like, I was mentioned, like the Brooklyn Nets, who have no draft picks coming up, trading nothing to retain a talent like Jaheel Okafor. Because keep in mind, in his rookie season, 17.5 points per game, uh, dismal seven rebounds per game, but he's one of the shittier defensive centers out there. And he's an old school throwback, low post move, can't really stretch the floor, very slow footed, very flat footed. Um, 
But I do think that he does have some value league-wise. Um, where do you guys stand on Jahil Okafor right now? And where do you think he could fit in uh, structurally well, with another well, organization? But, but look, I mean, you say that, you know, he's this and he's that. But the truth is, we don't even know because the Sixers haven't given the kid a chance well, to Well, they gave him 53 play. games as a starter no, in the first I, season. It's rookie season, but since Boston, then, right? Yeah. But since then... What's he done, right? He hasn't got a chance to actually become a player yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a you know what? Let let the young man go then, right? Just cut him and let him go, so we can play basketball. Like they're impeding his development. That's the fucking problem I have right now. And he's been mentioning that before. Is that the Philadelphia 76ers have been waiting so long to at least get some sort of uh, get something back in return? But in turn, like Okafor is handling like a fucking professional. Best way possible. He hasn't really bitched and moaned, complained about being stuck on this mm-hmm. roster. Um, he's embraced the situation he's in as best way as possible. Uh, they're, they're fucking his future over, 100%. They're impeding his development, and he's going to be in the D League or out of the NBA if this shit persists after the season. Yeah, you've seen other players. I think it was Isaiah Thomas was the last one to speak out and actually say yeah. I think you mentioned on Twitter something like, you know, uh, yeah. exactly that. You're you doing know, him wrong. I can't believe that an organization would sort of let a player not reach his full potential. Because they, they're a commodity, though. That's why. Again, and they don't this, want to trade him without it coming back. Of course. And this was part of the whole process, though, as well in Philly, right? They drafted three big guys. They had they had Okafer, they had Noel, and then they also had Embiid. Yeah. Three years in a row just to well, make right? sure yeah. one of them was the best big in the league. And yeah. they finally hit that with Embiid as long as he stays healthy. Yeah. And it's made the other two expendable. So, f- Noel, they didn't get as much back as I thought they would. Okafor, they're going to get even less. It's just part of the process. Because they're diminishing their trade value is the thing, right? If if they had two of them, at least they could stagger the minutes. So, like with the Raptors, for instance, right? Our players have more trade value because you're playing them. Right? But they need to play to have value. But wouldn't it be great if, let's just say, it actually happens and Embiid goes down with an injury, like we're all predicting, is going to happen eventually, right, at some point this season? Um, Isn't it great to have Jalil Okafor in your back pocket to sort of step in? Isn't that sort of a strategic move for the team as well? Where does a guy like Dario Saric fall into this? Well, he, again, he's he's more of a four to me, mm-hmm. and Jalil Okafor is more of a five. Right. Uh, they could play on the court at the same time. I, I think if someone like Embiid went down, he'd be forced to play at least... 20 minutes a night of Jaleel Okafor out there. And maybe that's he why they're hesitant. Year. Maybe that's why they're hesitant to actually pull a trigger on a trade because like shit. Yeah, but that's horseshit. That's yet. complete fucking bullshit. You're talking about a guy. They're giving future. him no you minutes. Just like sitting there, I'm on the bench. He knows he's not playing any fucking game. He's played one game so far against the Toronto Raptors. He's a talented basketball player. You know, he's on a cadaver. Yeah, he's he on is, a, he You is, know what I mean? Is. Like he can ball. He's the skilled. guy can play some basketball. Keep in mind, like he he's not the best structural fit. For most teams in the NBA, but I was mentioning before coming off the bench in certain situations. You talk about Andre Drummond, like you know, sh- like showing up right now and through development with the Detroit Pistons right now, finding a way to utilize a big body like that. I'm sure a team out there can find. I'd like to see him go to the Pelicans. I've been watching the Pelicans. I love watching the Pelicans, man. And I would like to see him <laughs> go to the Pelicans. Yeah, make him because at least then he can get like a, a backup role and give some some break minutes to Dikas. Because I like, like the, I best like the idea the of him pl- playing on the Chicago Bulls of Larry Mercandon. Yeah, he's yeah, the Bulls. Yeah. Like, it seems like the most logical fit for me. Just give him the fucking there's a, Chicago. Yeah, there's a know? few places that, that you can see him. A young team like said, the Nets or Chicago. Put him, let the kid play. They're not going to give him away for, for nothing. nothing. No, they won't. It's I know. business, right? They, they, at this point, they would rather have him on their roster just in case. Yeah. Right? And it sucks. It's unfortunate. But until his contract runs out, that, yeah. that's his contract. He's getting paid. Exactly. All right, guys, moving down to the last segment of the show, the most popular segment in Toronto, Diamond Pizza-sponsored section. Greg's Gripes. No, we're not sponsored by Diamond Pizza. We do eat it quite a bit, though. Sponsored by Diamond Pizza. Sponsored by Diamond Pizza. Shout out to the small poutine. (laughs) The large poutine. I'm a more of a large poutine kind of guy. So, Greg, what is your gripe for the week? What is been pissing you off? Tell the people. The ESPN nonstop celebrity coverage of Lonzo Ball and his crazy father. I am so sick every time I try to turn on one of my shows now. Anytime I try to turn on, you know, a, a, a mainstream sports talk show, mm-hmm. I am berated by Lonzo Ball stories. Mm-hmm. Even the the, the, the broadcasters uh, on Sports Center constantly talking about Lonzo Ball, and it's because of the LA market. I get it. I get it. 
right? I understand why they're doing it, but it's a disservice to all the other players in the NBA. He hasn't done anything to warrant this attention, but mm. we live in, 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 in a culture where someone like LeVar Ball can spew diarrhea and turn it you know, and say that it's gold or whatever. It, it, it's Listen, just, there, there's one thing verbally disparaging collegiate level players. There's one thing disparaging professional level players. And that's the most jarring thing I've seen in the situation with the barball. Yeah. And in a certain time, in a certain situation, you got to show some fucking respect. And I don't see any respect from that guy's mouth. He, he says the right things. He says the like, politically correct statements. But when, like, he's just attacking other professional players who are five, even ten years the senior of Lonzo Ball, yeah. that, that's a little disgusting. He's the Donald Trump. Of the, it's like any coverage is good coverage. Mm-hmm. That's the mentality, right. right? But but shame on ESPN for sticking a microphone in his face all the time. Yeah. Like, that's why he's getting the coverage. Because, like, oh, we're giving the people what they want. Let's just dumb it down. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, so can I ask you a question about this? Like, how do you view... Lonzo in the situation. How do you view Lonzo, Lonzo him, him having like a really level-headed demeanor, having a good head on his shoulders, and not sort of pandering to his dad, Lavar's sort of nonsensical hate speech kind of circumventing yeah, the league seemed, right look, now? Look, he seems like a like a mild-mannered kid. I don't know how his brothers are like or whatever, but... Have you seen the TV show? No, no. I, see, that's the thing. I'm not watching that TV show either. No, and, and why, right? why do they have a TV show? It's like keeping up with the Kardashians. They are the male Kardashians. No, but that, but, but there's a, but, the, but, a house. But that's why people don't know anything about anything that matters because they're watching LeVar Ball clips all day, right? And, and it even dumbs down the sports talk to have to, you know, look, here's the thing. If Lonzo Ball was doing something, if he was bringing the Lakers back to prominence this year, if he was doing what Magic did when he first started and putting together his amazing season, that's one thing. He's looked like a rookie. And lo and behold, D'Andre Russell is balling. Ooh, wow. Who could have predicted Ooh. that? Ooh. Keep in mind, in L.A. right now, they're talking about Kyle Kuzma. Outside of L.A., they're talking about Lonzo Ball. But that's so messed up even, right? We're just like delay. We're, we're on delay for the, the echo of, of L.A. sport media, right? Where, where is the reality, though? Where is the reality, Brandon? It's, it's tough because I, there's a side of this that like, I really appreciate, and that's you Which know, side? This, the, the, the fact that this guy gives a fuck this much about this kid's career. You know what I mean? Like being that present. <laughs> I know. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. But there's like, you know, certain levels to that. You know what I mean? And clearly he's overstepping his boundary as a father. No, he's not. ESPN is over. It's, it's doing poor reporting by putting on a microphone in his face all well, the didn't time. Didn't he have that first he take can... with Stephen A. Smith or something? Yeah, like, Stephen A. Yes, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Are you, you hear surprised? Ugh. And you hear Steven just like sucking up to him like all hell. And and beefing with J.R. Smith. Stephen A. Beefing with J.R. Smith over hoodies. Right? That's that's sports journalism. He's such a like you know what fucking drives me nuts with like Stephen A. Smith's beef. Brandon's with gripe. Smith. Brandon's gripe. Brandon's gripe is like he's so fucking like just like, oh you were right. You were right, JR. I was in your back. Don't worry, don't worry. You keep balling. You keep playing. Like, yeah. shut the fuck up. Stick to your guns. You criticize the guy. Don't be so fucking flippant. These hot take artists piss me off because they don't stick to their fucking guns. If you say something on the media, stick to your statement. Don't resort like resort back to like flippancy because you don't want to offend the person you're antagonizing in the first place. It's so fucking uneven. Whenever you Jesus talk about Stephen A. Smith and you think about his credibility, just remember that he's never picked the NBA winner correct in the really? last seven years. Yeah. Stephen A. Smith, I will give you <laughs> respect because you are ever. a fantastic personality on TV, but this is a call to arms to Stephen but A. Smith. that's not journalism. Gregory Euroshottis right now, sitting right in front of me, is calling you out. Calling him out. one debate. Calling him out. Calling him out. He's lost his way. You know, he must have, you know, maybe he was a good re- uh, reporter, a journalist, you know, back in the day. Even his coverage about, like, issues relating to, like, race in America and all that stuff. Like, it's just so uncritical, so mainstream. I'm not taking anything away from him as, like, a journalist, as a reporter, but I'm talking Why? about... Because I think there's two <laughs> Why sides. Not? I think there's two sides to Stephen A. Smith. I think there's the actual, knowledgeable, rational journalist side of that Stephen That we don't see? That that we don't see anymore. Okay, but that's and that, the problem. And, and I think I feel like that's him, like himself, normal. I don't think he's like a very like loud, brash guy at the goddamn, you know, like yeah. Dunkin' Donuts screaming at people. Yeah. Where's my double double? No, so like saying I think it's his personality, down to earth, like rational, pragmatic individual. But when the camera's on him, so he's. But then he's not a journalist anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, and exactly. But, and that's the thing. He presents himself as a journalist in these debates, like the whole LeBron thing. It's like somebody in LeBron James's camp. 
Somebody had told me that so and so said this. I was like, that's not factual. You can't say that. Like, it's like it's a direct quote. <laughs> it's a direct quote from LeBron James's camp. Well, you don't want to kick Kyrie Irving's ass. Or yeah, something. yeah, right. Yeah. And he's just like antagonizing shit, right? Look, I. We this has come a long way from the Lonzo Ball point, but this it's just the <laughs> look. It's 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 the sensational celebrity, yeah. right hype around the NBA that is so far removed from the reality of what's actually going on. If only every journalist could be Tony Kornheiser. Exactly. Hey, crazy. he's not too bad. The old timers, man. He's great. I yeah. love Tony. I, yeah, no, I like him. I'm 100% serious when I say that. <laughs> Shout However, out to Tony forget. Kornheiser. All right, LaVar, no, you, no, can, you, can speak up. you can speak up when your son learns to fucking shoot the ball. And with that, guys, thank you very, very much for listening. This is Toronto Sport Matters. I'm Brandon Kajoka. Peace out, D-Dot. See you later, guys. And check us out on iTunes. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe! <laughs>